Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10. <clears throat> Appreciate you being here tonight, singing out, and looking forward to what the Lord has for us uh, from his word tonight. Exodus chapter 10. And uh, go ahead and have you be seated. We're going to read the entire chapter here um, as we consider the seventh, eighth, and ninth plague tonight. And that means after this, there will only be one more. I've already been studying on the Passover. I'm so looking forward to uh, getting to those messages. Uh, But God has something for us here tonight. We've been, as we've been coming through Exodus, we've been kind of looking at it from Pharaoh's angle and seeing how we identify with him and uh, how we share the same fallen condition, really, and how we need Christ to redeem us from these hardened hearts. But tonight we're going to take a little bit different of an approach and look at this from Israel's perspective because the chapter is going to start off uh, with telling us that this is recorded and these things are done so that Moses would tell his sons and his son's sons. And so there's something that God wants to get across here in this chapter to the nation of Israel. And if you really think about it, Moses' son's sons are the ones that are going to be entering the promised land. They're going to be fighting the battles, crossing the Jordan, seeing the walls of Jericho fall. They're going to see God do some great things, but those are some pretty tall walls. They were like grasshoppers in the sights of those giants, and they need some encouragement from God, and that's what Exodus is really about for that nation as they go in to claim the victory that God has promised them. So let's look at Exodus chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Now let me highlight this so you see it going forward. Every single time in this chapter, we see God hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's important for us to understand that because all the other ones, it's either Uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart or maybe the plague hardened his heart and there might have been an occasion or two where God hardened his heart but we notice here every single time it is God displaying his mastery over Pharaoh's heart so consider that as we read through here so he says I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show these my signs before him and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy sons and of thy son's son What things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs, which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, Behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and every and, and eat and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses and the houses of all thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters. The flocks, uh, uh, or with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. That means he was being a little sarcastic there. Oh, yeah, sure, you go on ahead and go with the Lord's blessings. <laughs> no, that's not how this is going to work. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them, there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall such be. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they did eat of every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the, the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your, your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. He's still trying to negotiate the terms here with God. Verse 25, and Moses said, thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. For thereof we must take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, 
Take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. The title of our message tonight is this He's still powerful. He's still powerful. Lord, I just ask you one more time to help me to communicate your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and apply the truth as it's needed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. An important lesson to learn in life is don't pick a fight with someone you can't beat. You got to learn that on the schoolyard. You got to learn that in college. You got to learn that at work. Uh, We got to learn this lesson. Don't pick a fight with someone you can't beat. Uh, Deion Sanders and the Buffs have really gotten their program turned around here this year. That, uh, I mean, 76 incoming transfers, a completely new roster, and there weren't very high expectations for this team to gel and get together, and yet they came into their opening win, and they knocked off the defending national runner-up in their first game, and then last week they obliterated an an arch rival, and so now the, the hype train is here and we got all kinds of celebrities that are coming here to Boulder and and on Saturday I think they've got Fox's big noon kickoff show on campus and ESPN's college game day is on campus and there are a couple uh, ESPN shows that are going to be on campus this weekend and even 60 minutes is coming this weekend to do a story on coach prime and the buffs and so there's all kinds of hoopla going on and the reason why is because they far exceeded expectations Thus far, it's actually very remarkable and unprecedented what they are doing. Well, this coming Saturday, we have the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Colorado State is coming to Boulder. And uh, as you look at this for a long time, this rivalry has been big brother in CU versus little brother in CSU. And so CSU hasn't beaten them since I think 2014 or something like that. And so it's kind of a lopsided rivalry, but it's going to be even worse this year. The talent difference between these two schools is immense. And so it has been kind of a a little bit of a quiet week and people are looking at CU as though you got to be careful here because you got number 13 Oregon next week and number six USC the week after that. And so there's a tendency for you to maybe overlook a school like CSU, a program like them. But today, a video came out of the head coach at CSU, Jay Norvell. Uh, he was doing a local radio show at a restaurant, and, uh, and, and it came out that he had, in, in this conversation, described how he was talking to ESPN, and he told them, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my shades off because that's how my mama raised me. Now, if you don't know how uh, Deion Sanders has run his program, he probably endorses glasses is my guess. And so every press conference, he's wearing a CU hat and he's wearing sunglasses. And people look at that as disrespectful, whatever, but he's probably got an endorsement deal where he has to do that. But this coach decided, you know what? I'm going to take a shot here. <laughs> we got a rivalry going on. And so I'm going to say, this is how my mama raised me, almost as the disrespect Dion's mama. Well, then a video surfaced this afternoon of uh, Deion Sanders talking to his team. 
And he said, here we all thought. I was minding my business this morning, watching film, and all of a sudden I pull up, uh, or I look up on the screen, and I'm seeing that there was a bunch of junk being said over there. And he said that, you know, here we are just thinking this is going to be a nice game. This is going to be a good game. It's going to be a good test. There's the, the, the coolness of the Colorado State versus Colorado going on. And he said, then they had to go on and make it personal. Had to make it personal. And so then this afternoon, the players are coming to their coach's defense. There's a lot of hoopla, a lot of rah-rah. And you can tell those players are fired up to go and, and give Colorado State the business this weekend. And I have a, a, a major feeling that Saturday night, Colorado State's going to realize we poked a bear, <laughs> that we picked a fight with somebody we couldn't beat. We picked a fight with somebody that's just better than us, faster than us, stronger than us, greater than us. And they're going to find that out. You don't want to pick a fight with a superior opponent. But what we see here in the book of Exodus is that Pharaoh has picked a fight with a power that is far higher than him, a power that is far greater than him, an opponent that is far superior than him, that Pharaoh has gone after God's firstborn son, as he said in, in uh, chapter 4. And Pharaoh has them captive, and they've been afflicted in hard bondage, and they've been beaten and even killed for 400 years. They threw their babies in the Nile River. I mean, this was a, a very brutal situation. And so God sends Moses uh, to Pharaoh, and he tells him, the Lord has said, let my people go. And what was Pharaoh's response? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. Talk about taking shots. Talk about disrespect. I've never heard of this Yahweh. I've never heard of this Lord, this I am, this guy that you claim to be your God. I've never heard of him. There's no way I'm going to obey his voice. Well, what we've seen over the last several chapters is that God is making it known and putting it on display for all to see exactly who he is and just how powerful he is. He turned a rod into a snake, water into blood. He brought frogs in abundance and lice and flies and he caused a, a pestilence to break out amongst their flocks and their herds and he caused this boil to break out upon man and beast and he sent this thunder lightning hail fire upon them and even some had died as a result and yet all along the way pharaoh kept hardening his heart he kept refusing to obey god and God is having to show him exactly who he is. Why is God demonstrating his power to Pharaoh? Why is he putting it on display for all to see? Well, verse number one and two would tell us that God has hardened Pharaoh's heart that he might show these my signs before him. Why is he showing the signs? Why is he bringing these plagues? Why is he displaying his power before Pharaoh? Verse number two says, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons, what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs, which I have done among them, that ye, that all of you may know that I am 
the Lord. He's saying that I'm putting all this on display, not just for you, Moses, not just for this generation, but for the next generation and the generation after that. And the generation after that is the one that is the first readers of the book of Exodus. They are standing on the banks of Jordan looking into the promised land and they've got battles ahead of them in their lives. They've got walls in front of them uh, and the city. They've got giants in the land and fortified cities and mighty kings and mighty armies. And they're a bunch of slaves who have just been released from 400 years of slavery. And they have these battles to face and God wants them to know I am the Lord. He wants them to see his power. Why is it important for God to demonstrate his power for them? But listen, we're not here to just talk about Israel. We're here to talk about you and we're here to talk about me. And the reality is that we face battles in our lives that seem insurmountable to us. We face foes in our lives where it seems like we are the little brother and they are the big brother. You face some struggles in your marriage that you don't think can be overcome. You face some opposition from your boss or from people in society in regards to your faith. You don't think you're making any difference and, and it feels like you don't have any voice and that nothing can be done about it. You face financial problems that seem insurmountable. Chronic health problems that you can't seem uh, to make it through. There's some bitterness towards someone in your past that you just can't get over. Some pain that you can't get through. Some temptation that you struggle to resist. But God wants you to understand that he's still just as powerful today as he was back then. Like it was for Israel, why is it important for us to understand just how powerful God is. That's what we want to consider. Why is it important for you to know in your life that God is still just as powerful today? Pharaoh is a powerful man who has a firm grip on the nation of Israel. Pharaoh has refused to humble himself before the Lord. The Lord has brought plague after plague upon him and his people, yet he still would not let Israel go. So God warns him, I'm going to bring the locusts into your land. And it's going to be a locust swarm that you have never seen before in your life. And it's going to decimate your agriculture. It's going to eat everything that was left behind by the hail. It's going to be bad. When you do some study on locusts, they look identical to grasshoppers, but they're very different in their behavior. The grasshoppers kind of operate individually or in small little packs. We'll see grasshoppers all over the property here, but locusts, they behave in swarms. <laughs> they migrate in massive swarms. National Geographic said one swarm of locusts can make up 460 square miles. That is massive. And in that, in that swarm, about 160 million locusts per square mile. We are talking about billions of locusts. And this still goes on today, by the way. Back in 2020, there was a massive, I mean, Talk about adding insult to injury. You had COVID going on, but over in Africa as well, you had a massive swarm of locusts come and they just ate everything and decimated the land. I saw one video that said that, that a swarm of locusts can consume in one day the same amount, consume the amount of food in one day that all of New York and California combined could eat. 
And so we're talking about a massive swarm. But let's remember that God said this is going to be one like has never been seen before. They were familiar with them in Egypt. It's again, it still happens commonly today. And so they knew what this is like, but he said, it's not going to be a regular one. So we're not talking about billions. We're talking about trillions of locusts. And so he warns them, this is going to happen. I can't imagine the kind of devastation that that would bring on an agricultural society. Moses and Aaron step out from Pharaoh after issuing this warning and understandably his servants are ready for Israel to leave. Would you look at at verse number seven with me? It says, and Pharaoh's servants said unto him, how long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Well, here's the reality. When your heart becomes as hard as Pharaoh is, you can't even see how devastating it is on those around you. And that's what it was like with Pharaoh here. No clue. And so he calls for Moses and Aaron to come back and he tells them to go, but he asks, who's going to go? Who's going to go? Moses tells them, we're all going to go. Our old, our young, our sons and our daughters, our herds, our flocks, we are all going. And look at his response in verse 10. And he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you, and I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. You catch the tongue-in-cheek there. He's saying, yeah, fat chance. So I'm not going to let you go. I, I'm a, uh, evil stands before you. No, there's something standing in your way, and it's not good, and it's me. And so he says in verse number 11, not so go now ye that are men and serve the Lord for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. See, here's the problem for Pharaoh. He knows this. If I let them all out of here, the men, the women, the children, the flocks, the herds, if I let them all go, there's no reason for them to come back. They're going to be gone and they're going to be long gone. And so he says, no, no, just the men are going. See, he's got a firm grip on this nation. He's unwilling to let them go. He, even after all these plagues, he's not humbling himself before God. He's continuing to dig in his seals and to resist God and to keep his grip on them. Why is he able to have, I mean, think about it. We're talking about uh, probably a couple million Israelites here right now. Why don't they just all revolt and, and have a coup in Pharaoh's palace? Well, it's because he's the most powerful man in the world right now in the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And so we're talking about the most powerful man in the world and the most powerful nation in the world that has a firm grip on this nation. And as long as they are under his grip, they cannot go and serve God. Listen, there can be some people or there can be some things in your life that have such a firm grip on you that you can't serve God. It could be a job that has a firm grip on you, that takes up your, your entire week to where you have no time to invest in your marriage, no time to invest in your family, or maybe your boss is so hard and has such high expectations that you constantly got to work late nights and, and weekends, and, and you go home and all you can think about is work. I mean, it's like you're bound by your job. You're so tired by the time you're done working that you don't even feel like going to church. It's got you by the throat. Maybe anger has a firm grip on you, that the smallest thing can tip you off 
You find yourself yelling at people at work, yelling at people while you drive. Anybody been there before? You're in the car and just, you know, going off because they can't hear you. It might be that you take that frustration home and you take it out on your wife or you take it out. Maybe you're, you're a wife and you got anger problems. Let's, it's not just men that have anger problems. Some ladies can have major anger problems. And so you can go home and take it out on your husband, everything that you've been through. Listen, people have to walk on eggshells around you because they never know when you're going to go off. Here's a question, a simple question. How can you serve in ministry? How can you serve as a pastor if that's your reputation? The Bible talks about how a pastor is not to be a brawler or a striker. They need to be slow to anger. And so when you're talking about a leadership position, how can you serve in a leadership position if everybody knows that you're an angry person? We're talking about a sin that has such a grip on you that it literally keeps you from being able to serve God the way that he wants you to. It's gripped you. A health problem can leave you enslaved to medication. Financial problems can leave you enslaved to debt. There are battles that we face that seem too powerful for us. Temptations that are too hard for us. Enemies that are too strong for us. And chains that are too tight for us. Israel is held firmly in the grip of their oppressor. They're in bondage. But God is demonstrating that Pharaoh is no match for their God. See, God plagues Egypt with this swarm of locusts and, and they come in. Moses stretches out his rod and it says that God brings in an east wind that was going to bring these things in from the sea. And it says that that wind came in all day long and all night long. And in the morning, here comes a black cloud of locusts, <laughs> one that's never been seen before. And it's enough to cover the entire land of Egypt. And these things swarm in. <laughs> you, you ought to check out some videos of a locust swarm that, you know, now we've got our modern cities and everything. And I mean, you see these things fly in. They look like a swarm of those black birds that fly around town, uh, you know, flying south for the winter. These things come in and they hit the deck. They land on the ground. I mean, they're just hopping and flying and going all over the place. You see people sitting at restaurants and they're jumping in there and on their plates and eating their food. I mean, it is a, it is a nasty thing. <laughs> and it says that these, these locusts come in and they begin eating every green thing. And it was so devastating. Look at verse 15. It says, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. You know what that means? You know, now we've, we've got satellite images and you can look over at Egypt right now and you can, uh, if you were on your Google Maps or your Apple Maps, you could zoom in on the satellite shot and what you'll see is along the Nile River, it's very green. But in this situation, all that green was black and all that dust, that desert sand, that tan, it was black. It says the earth was darkened. We're talking about devastation. They cover the face of the whole earth. And it says, and they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees, which he had, which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. It was bad. It was so bad that 
Pharaoh appears to repent, but the Lord's actually going to further harden his heart. Look at verse 16. It says, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. Get Moses and Aaron over here quick. And he says this, I have sinned against the Lord, your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee my sin only this once and entreat the Lord for uh, your God that he may take away from me this death only. I've had enough. (laughs) Except we've heard this twice already. (laughs) Have him taken away and I'll let you go and graciously he goes and entreats the Lord and the Lord sends a mighty west wind in verse 19. And it took away the locusts and not one remained in all the land. Only God could do that. Bring an east wind all day and all night, bring the locusts in and at the entreatment, at the prayer of Moses, send a west wind to take them all back, cast them into the Red Sea and take every last one of them out. God's displaying his power. But look at verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. See, what's happening now is you've got the most powerful man in the world on his knees before slaves begging for their God to deliver him from this plague. God's power has brought the most powerful man in the world to his knees. But here's what we also see. God's power can harden that man's heart and bring him back to his feet. What God is displaying here is his total mastery over Pharaoh. His power over creation, his power over man. And so now Pharaoh won't let them go. And the Lord sends Moses to stretch out his hands and to bring a thick darkness. So Moses goes out, stretches out his hands. And I cannot imagine what that was like. But immediately, you know, you see the sun, the hot desert day. And then all of a sudden, can you imagine this black cloud? just starts making its way over the land and it begins to completely cover the sun. And and at night there's no moon, no stars. It is pitch black. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 21, it says even darkness, which may be felt. Can you imagine a darkness so thick you can just feel it? They couldn't see each other. God miraculously worked in a way that the sun did not shine, the moon did not shine, the stars did not shine, and none of their candles would light. None of their oil would work. Their lamps wouldn't light. I mean, it is pitch black, utter utter darkness for three days. They could not see each other. You could not see your hand in front of your face. It was so dark. Imagine how gloomy that must have been. And so in verse 24... It says, and Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, go ye and serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. So, (laughs) okay, fine. You can go. Just leave your flocks, leave your herds again. He knows they take it all. They're not coming back and he's not going to let them go out free. 
But Moses says in verse uh, 25, and Moses said, thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind for therefore must we take uh, to serve the Lord our God and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. I mean, God has put his power on display to show Pharaoh, you are no match for me and yet here he is still poking the bear still rebelling against God still negotiating the terms still saying no you can't all go leave your flocks here and it says there that the Lord once again the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go and Pharaoh said unto him get thee from me take heed to thyself See my face no more, for in that day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. And outside of when it's time to go, that's the last time Pharaoh sees Moses' face. There's a a finality to this. And the reason why is because there's going to be one more plague. And it's a plague of death. And after that plague of death, Pharaoh's going to send them out in haste. But he's going to harden his own heart again. And he's going to chase after them. And he's going to encamp and surround them at the sea. And then God is finally going to harden his heart one final time. And he's going to pursue them into the uh, Red Sea. And God is going to drop the water on them. And finally, Israel's oppressor, will be dealt with and done forever. And there are some again who say, that's mean of God. The reality is this, God knew there's nothing that is going to change Pharaoh's heart. Not even my mighty acts, not even my strong hand, not even my wonders and my signs. The only way to free Israel from Pharaoh's grip was for Pharaoh to be destroyed and justly so for his treatment of the people of Israel. And so what we see here is that Israel is delivered from the most powerful man by a more powerful God. God has demonstrated his mastery over Pharaoh. And he tells Moses that he is doing it so that they will tell their sons and their sons' sons so that all Israel from generation to generation might know that he is the Lord. And so the truth that we're supposed to get from this chapter is that God showed his power before Pharaoh because he wanted Israel to know that whatever battles they face, they are no match for their God. No match for their God. As a Christian, there are battles that you face today that seem impossible to fight. It might seem like your marriage is in an uphill battle right now. 
that every conversation is an argument, that there's no peace at home. There's, there seems like there's nothing you can do to repair that relationship, that you're trying to do what's right, but it seems like they won't see their flaws. And this goes back and forth, and it can be the man and it can be the woman, or it can be both, that nobody's recognizing their flaws. But you're looking at it and you're just like, I don't think anything is ever going to change this situation until something finally breaks. And it's impossible You might be looking at your life right now and saying just getting married is an uphill battle. (laughs) There's not many people my age out there anymore. There are not many Christian girls my age or Christian boys my age. And you're just looking at this situation and you're saying, I don't know if I'll ever get married. (laughs) And it's an uphill battle. You're constantly fighting financial battles that it's like one thing after another, that food is up and gas is up and, and your job is up in the air and the car breaks down and, and something breaks down at home and you're working two or three jobs and the fridge is empty and you're just trying to make ends meet. And it seems like there's always something going on and there's a constant financial battle in your life. Your health can always be an uphill battle that it just seems like as soon as you get through one thing, something else comes on top of it and it's constantly uphill it could be that as we're trying to plant a church that you're looking at our society today and you're just thinking it's it's so challenging to reach people with the gospel that people have been so indoctrinated in other systems that there's no openness even to the idea of a creator god and and it seems so challenging and it takes such a long time for a church to get off the ground in this kind of culture you might have somebody in your family that you've tried to reach with the gospel and you've been trying to reach them for years and you've been trying to tell them what Jesus has done and they just keep giving you the stiff arm and their heart seems to become so hard like nothing's going to change, like nothing's getting through and you can be discouraged. You can feel like this is a losing battle in my life. It can seem like you win one battle just to fight the next battle and that can be frustrating, tiring and discouraging in your life. It's like being in a wrestling match with a stronger opponent. If I brought my kids up here and said, all right, you two, duke it out. It's wrestling time. Now, Josiah's only four. His sister's going to be eight uh, here in a couple weeks. And she's a strong girl. And she could just sit on him. (laughs) And she could pin him down. And he's going to struggle against her. It's going to be a constant struggle and a constant struggle. Why? She's stronger than him. That's his greatest foe in life right now is his sister. (laughs) It seems like it's always a losing battle. But what happens if dad steps into that? (laughs) She's here pinning him down on the ground and pick that girl up and throw her across the room. I wouldn't do that. Maybe if there was a couch, a soft landing, Yes. (laughs) But it's not going to be much work for me. I've wrestled with my kids enough to know this. They're no match for me. <laughs> and so his greatest foe is not more powerful than his dad. Well, hey, listen, there are battles you face. There are wrestling matches you get into, and it feels like in your life, like you're pinned down by your enemy. Let's remember, we do have an enemy. We do have an oppressor. We do have an attempter. We do have an accuser, and he wants to fight you, and he wants to tempt you, and he wants to pin you down to the ground and throw temptation after temptation to you, and you can feel like it's too strong. I can't resist this. My marriage is hopeless. My job is falling apart. Nothing in my life is going the way that I thought it would. 
it and I don't see any hope out of it. But listen, you've got a father in your heavenly father who can step in in those moments and there's no foe that's stronger than him. There's no opponent that's more powerful than, than him. He can just take that situation and just boom, throw it off your back. And some of you say, well, why isn't he doing it? Why isn't he doing it? We can't profess to know all the ways of God. But I promise you this, it's not because he's not powerful enough. Sometimes it might be because we don't have the faith to ask. Sometimes it's because we can become so discouraged in this battle that we just don't even feel like God cares, that God sees. But what we've seen in the book of Exodus is God does see, God does hear, God does care. He hears the cries of his people and he steps in to rescue them. He steps in to deliver them. And what he's been doing through the course of these plagues is he is displaying his power for all of Israel to see. And the reason why he's doing that is because there's a, another generation to come. There's Moses' sons and Moses' sons' sons. And that generation has the task that seems insurmountable of going into the land of Canaan and to fight battles that they've never fought before and to come across walls that they've never seen so high before. And these giants where they feel like grasshoppers and they got these battles and these armies that they've got to face and they're not going to see any way, anyhow, that it could possibly happen. And what God is doing here in the book of Exodus is he is having Moses record event by event to show them. He's more powerful than anything in creation. He's more powerful than any enemy that you have. He's more powerful than the most powerful man in the world over the most powerful nation in the world. There's not a single thing that can threaten your life when he is your God. In fact, they're going to see it. They're going to see the hornets go before them, <laughs> chase out their enemies they're going to see those walls fall flat when all they did was walk around them a few times. They're going to see giants fall. They're going to see victories. And they're going to see that their God is more powerful than the gods of the Canaanites. Their God is more powerful than the kings of the Canaanites. See, God is putting his power on display to show them this you can trust me in your battles of today because I'm just as powerful as I was back then. And now you have this recorded in the scripture for you tonight to see that he did fight for that generation in Egypt, but he also fought for the next generation in the wilderness and he fought for the next generation in Canaan and he's going to fight for you. <laughs> Why? Because he's all powerful. There's nothing more powerful than him. He's more powerful than, than your, your broken marriage right now. He's more powerful than that addiction that has a hold of you right now. He has more power. Uh, he, he's more powerful than, than your boss. And he's more powerful than your financial situation. And he's more powerful to even heal you. He's more powerful than your tempter. He's more powerful than the sin that has a hold of you. In fact, here's how powerful he is. He took all of his infinite nature and he confined it to a cell in the womb of a woman. <laughs> and, and he grew in the body of a baby. And when Jesus burst on the scene in Galilee, you know what he did? He still displayed his power over creation. He stilled the waters. He turned uh, five loaves of bread and two fishes to feed 5,000 plus 
and then again to feed 4,000 plus. And he healed the crippled. And he gave sight to those who were born blind and restored the hearing to those who were born deaf. And he demonstrated time and time again that there's no illness that he can't heal. That there, he, he resisted every temptation that Satan threw his way. There's no temptation that he's not more powerful than. He demonstrated his power over kings and priests and governors. And when he was uh, killed, when he was crucified, and he was laid in that tomb, three days later, he demonstrated that not even death, hell, and the grave could hold him. No, he rose from the dead and guarantees eternal life to all who will believe by faith. There's nothing more powerful than him. He's more powerful than the hardened heart of that relative that you've been sharing the gospel with. That he's able through, his, through the power of the gospel to bring conviction to their heart, to provide them with another opportunity to where they might receive the gospel and be saved. No, their, their heart is not more powerful than his. He'll not force them, but he can work in ways that we can't. He can pull you out of debt in ways that you can't. He, it doesn't mean that he's just going to take away all your debt. He might do that. <laughs> but he can give you the discipline to handle your finances better in a way that gets you out of that. By faith in Christ, he's given you his Holy Spirit that has the power to convict you of temptation, that has the power to free you from addiction that has the power to use you to do great things for his glory. You might look at your life and say, all my limitations, my spiritual limitations, my physical limitations, they'll keep me from doing great things for God. No, you never know what he can do with you if you'll just be willing to let him use you. He's more powerful than your limitations. And so the point that we're supposed to get across from the point that we're supposed to get from all of this is this. You can trust God with your battles today as well. And the reason why you can trust God with your battles today is because they're no match for him either. Just like Pharaoh's no match for God and the Canaanites were no match for God, your battle's no match for God either. And so what do I do then? Bring it to him. Rather than fearing the foe, rather than just laying down in the battle and being depressed and giving up on your situation, get on your knees before him and just pour out your heart to God and say, God, I beg you, this is bigger than me. I can't handle this. It's stronger than me. It's got me pinned down. It's got me broken, battered, and bruised. And I need you to step in. And I need you to change me, first of all. And I need you to change my situation. Or I need you to give me the grace to get through the situation. But all I know is I can't do this on my own. But I know that the I am still is. Which means he's still just as powerful right now as he was back then. So you tell me, what do you face in your life that is more powerful than almighty God? The answer is nothing. So bring everything to him. And if he chooses not to give you exactly what you asked for, he knows what's best for you. And he will give you the strength and he'll give you the grace to go through it and to gain victory through the blood of Christ and his Holy Spirit over whatever battle you may face.
So bring it to him. Trust it into his hands and let him go to work and display his glory in your life. And maybe a couple generations from now, you'll have some grandkids on your knees and you're telling them about what God did for you so that they'll know he'll do it for them. I am, still is. Father, we thank you tonight for the great and mighty God that you are. There is no God like you, none so holy, none so perfect, pure, and just, and yet none so loving, gracious, and merciful. You are the omnipotent, all-powerful God, and you never change. And I'm thankful for that because it means we can trust you today. Thank you for the encouragement from your word. I pray that you would help each individual tonight to consider the battle that they are facing and to see this as applying to them, to their marriage, to their evangelistic attempts, to their job, their bank account, their bitterness, lust, addiction, that whatever battle we may face, it is no match for the great I am. So please speak to our hearts and help us to put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.